Hey there, Jacob's Well Podcast. This is Pastor Paul, lead pastor of Jacob's Well, and I'm so glad that you've decided to check out this week's podcast because this week's message and actually last week's message are two messages that are so much at the heart of who we are as a community, as a church, and this is just going to give a really clear picture of what really matters to us as this week we talk about a life that matters. Have you ever been hangry? What I'm talking about, you're hungry, and you start getting focused, man, I'm hungry. Something to eat. Some of you are going, I was going to go to dinner after this. <laughs> Probably lost half the room. We get hangry at our house. I have one of my children, we kind of have this agreement that we don't look at each other, we don't talk to each other, we don't joke with each other if we're hangry. You know, because when you're hungry or you're hangry, I mean, hangry is a combination of being so hungry that you start getting annoyed and annoying. And, and, and when you're like that, you just start getting about you. And little things start bothering you. You know, there's very, very few more powerful things that will drive a person than either being hungry or thirsty. I don't know if you've ever really, really been thirsty, but eventually it just gets to the point that you can't think about anything, you can't look at anything else, you can't be focused on anything else other than getting something to drink, other than getting something to eat, and, and you become very self-absorbed. And so it's interesting that in the passage of Scripture we started looking at last week, and we're going to finish up tonight, Jesus uses those two forces in our life, something that every human person can relate with, to, to begin to describe the passions of his life and the passions that his church should have, what we should be thirsting for and what we should be hungry for, what should be driving us and pushing us and should be the most important thing on our radar. And last week, we we started looking at the story in John chapter 4, the story that our church is named at, because there was this woman who met Jesus at Jacob's well, and this was a woman with the past, this was a woman with spiritual questions, this was a woman who, you know, uh, had become an outcast in the community, but she had met Jesus at a place called Jacob's well, and her whole life changed. And you may remember, if you were here last week, or if you know the story, that Jesus offered her living water. He, he said, whoever drinks of the well we're sitting at is going to thirst again. But I'm talking about a spiritual quenching, a satisfaction that not only quenches your thirst, but becomes in you like an artesian well, just seeking to, to quench the thirst of other people. And, and we talked about how this is what drove Jesus. That The scripture said he had to go through this town in this region called Samaria, and how many rules Jesus broke, how many barriers he had to go through just to go to this place, and then how many more he had to break through to talk to this woman. He had to break through racial, he had to break through theological controversies, he had to break rules about about gender and men talking to women, he had to push into places that would have been not only uncomfortable, but they would have been offensive. That is to say that there would have been people during the time of Jesus who would have been deeply offended, deeply angry about what Jesus was doing. He he had to break through cultural norms. He had to break through socioeconomic realities that keep the poor and the rich looking at things radically different. And he had to make sacrifices to do it. And the way he went about it was bold and it was direct and it would have been offensive. Let me just share something with you. It's impossible to be a person who obeys the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live and not offend some folks. 
In fact, Jesus promised it. He said this. He said, they hated me without reason. And if they hated me without reason while I'm here, how much more are they going to hate you? And simply because you love Jesus and you try to live like Jesus and you put things out of your life that Jesus doesn't want anything to do with, there are going to be people who are just offended by that. Now, if you take it to another level and you start sharing your story and inviting other people to, you know, know Jesus too? Well, then people are going to be very offended. You're going to start hearing like, who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? All kinds of accusations and all kinds of crazy things like this. But here's the deal. You're also going to experience something else. You're going to start experiencing a life of meaning. You know, we're in this series called If I Were Honest, and one of the things we want to be honest about is that in our culture, in our day, there is a crisis of meaning. There is a crisis in which people don't know why I matter and why my life matters and what I do matters. And in what Jesus Christ offers us in his invitation for us to be a people and a church that are actively about sharing his message of love and redemption proven on the cross, when, when, when he offers that to us, what he offers to us is meaning. We, we discovered this statement several weeks ago, and I just want to share it with you again, that the most meaningful and profound adventures of your life are hidden in plain sight. That is to say that God wants to invite you to a life of significance when you start noticing all the opportunities for, uh, for, for significance in the people and the relationships that are around you. When the church comes together and becomes part of something bigger than its, it itself to help share the message of love and redemption in this world. You see, what's missing from so many people's life is... Mission. I want to read again Matthew 28, 19 and 20, which is the Great Commission. And I want to ask you to just for a minute imagine and just think about what it is a privilege, what privilege it is that Christ has invited you into this. So often we read the Great Commission, we think, what a burden. Oh man, I don't want to do that. But think about this. This is the God of creation who is saying to you, listen, I want you to be involved in the most important work that will ever take place in the entire history. It would be more significant if the president called you or the director of the CIA or the FBI and they said, hey, we've got a mission for you. We've got something that you and only you can do. Because here's the deal. God has strategically placed you in a place where only you can do that work. And he wants you to be involved. He wants you to be included. He wants you to center your life on this. And what he offers is a life of of meaning. Look what he said. Last thing he said to his church before he went into heaven. He says, therefore, and the therefore is because of everything I've done, everything I've accomplished on the cross, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and then I will be with you in a way you could have never imagined till the very end of the age. That is to say, God gets more real in our life when we start getting on that ragged edge of being a person who proclaims their faith, who shares their faith, particularly in an age where it seems like, man, everyone's going to get offended. Everyone's going to be against it. And just understand, some people are. Some people are not going to like you. You know who really hates it is the devil. I mean, he will put up with some Christians starting to go to church. He, he will even put up with some Christians beginning to kind of clean up their life a little bit. He, he will put up with, you know, some Christians praying for each other, encouraging one another. But listen, 
When you start going after people who are lost and face an eternal destiny in hell, you are in his playground. He doesn't like that. And he is a bully and he will attack us. But I tell you what, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And you want to get part of something that matters, something that is worth doing, something that will take faith and courage and life that will make life exciting? Well, then get involved in helping people who are far away from God come close to God. It is a battle. It is a spiritual battle. That's what our vision statement is all about, that wherever we are on our journey, we're going to take steps together to know and become like Christ. So people who don't know Christ, who are not like Christ, we're going to just walk with them. We're going to take steps. We're going to get relational. We're not going to get all preachy. We're not going to get all weird. We're not going to get all religious on them. We're going to get very real with them, but we're going to share our story and connect it to God's story. Now, that's exactly what Jesus did. In last week's message, we saw he went into this place called Jacob's Well, sat down here. He engaged this woman in a spiritual conversation. And you remember, she had all kinds of hang-ups. She said some offensive things to him. She suggested he didn't know what he was talking about and that the Jews were all a bunch of just terrible people. And then she tried to get rid of him. But at the end of the day, Jesus revealed, I know all about you. I know all of your secrets and I love you anyway. And at the end, he reveals himself to her as the Messiah. Now, in this story, Jesus is alone with this woman at the well. So again, that would have been not only offensive, it would have been potentially dangerous. For instance, if the men of that town would have come and seen him talking alone, they could have turned on Jesus. It was an offensive thing Jesus was doing. He was out on the ragged edge here, and, and, and that's because he was on mission with God. So what ends up happening is Jesus is having this conversation with this woman, and she says, now I just know that this Messiah, the promised one, he's going to come and explain to it. And Jesus looks at her. I just believe he had to look her in the eye and said, I who speak to you and he. And in that moment was born this wonder, this fascination, this hope, and maybe the beginnings of a seed of faith. And now what happens next in the story is the church arrives. Oh, no. Because the disciples had gone into town to buy food. And we pick up the story in verse 27 of John chapter 4. And we read this. It says, just then, his disciples, and the disciples were the seeds of the church. These were the ones who were going to be entrusted with the message. The message is the keys to the kingdom, to unlock the the, the key into people's lives. We have been given the key to the kingdom. That's what he's given to his church. And so these disciples are given the message, and they, they are in no shape at all to reach this woman. In fact, if they had been there earlier, they probably would have messed it up. And if they would have been there alone, they most certainly would have messed it up. She would have said, she's to this and she's to that. And there's rules and offense and all these other kinds of things. Jesus breaks through that. So then his disciples returned. Look at this. And were surprised to find him talking with the woman. Well, Jesus, this is against the rules. You're not supposed to talk to a Samaritan. You're not supposed to talk to a woman. You're not supposed to talk to her without her husband. You're breaking all kinds of rules. This next statement tells us a lot about where they're at in terms of their headspace. He said, but no one said, what do you want? And no one said, why are you talking to her? So they didn't ask her, and they didn't ask him. Awkward. They're just kind of looking around, and James looking at John, and John's looking at, you know, uh, Andrew, and they're all looking, and no one's looking, and no one's making eye contact, and they all ask him. And then all of a sudden it says this. The woman gets the nonverbals. Then leaving her water jar, and can we just stop there for a minute? She came for physical water. That was the priority of the day, and she left it behind because she had found something more significant. Also an indication, I think she was planning on coming back. 
So, so she leaves her water jar. The, the little details of life are also not that important. She's found a new priority. She, she leaving her water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to her people. So what did she do? She just told her story. Listen, there is power in a simple story. You know what it means to witness? It means, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you how he's changed me. Let me tell you what he's like in my life. It's not this kind of grand picture where you paint yourself super spiritual and awesome. It's you being real. It's you being authentic. And so she runs back and she said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the one we're waiting for? Could this be the one we're looking for? Could this be the answer? And so she tells her story, then she invites. Simple things, but full of power. Remember, the risk this woman is talking to. One, she said, saying, I was talking to a guy. I know I wasn't supposed to, but I was. And in addition to that, she comes, and, and she's the outcast. But now she goes, and, and she goes to the leaders of the town, and the whole town, and, 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 and she tells them, something's happened to me. And, and you got to come, and you got to see this. And all of a sudden, her life, which is about hiding and brokenness and despair, becomes alive. You see, I, I love people who are new to the faith. Because they haven't learned not to care about what people think yet. It's so real, it's so raw, it's so authentic in them. They just want people to know that Jesus is real in my life. And I, I know that might offend you and it might risk it. It may even endanger the relationship. But, but the relationship I want to have is one for eternity. So I want to find a way to tell you what Jesus came. Now in verse 30, I just love this. They came out of town and made his way towards them. What I love about this is that the disciples have no idea what's heading their way. Because remember last week, we said that the town, the people living in the town were Samaritans, and the disciples were Jews. And the Bible said Jews and Samaritans don't associate. Gross understatement. They hated each other. There were rules about talking to each other. You were not allowed to physically touch each other. If you touched a Samaritan as a Jew, you were unclean and couldn't worship in the temple. If you were dying of thirst, it's a written law in the, in the literature of the day, and, and a Samaritan offered you water, you were supposed to die of thirst rather than drink from that container that that, that Samaritan gave you. And so here comes Jesus, not worrying all at all about what's going to happen to the church. He's bringing this big, rolling group of unclean, unwashed, wrong race, wrong gender, wrong everything, and he's going to dump it on the church's lap. See, here's the deal. Jesus doesn't mind offending the world. But here's the other thing. He doesn't mind offending the church either. He doesn't doesn't mind when the world gets uncomfortable because Christians live like Christians, but he doesn't mind making the church uncomfortable and bringing things and putting it in front of us and say, hey, look at this. Hey, deal with this. He'll put people in your life, things in your life, and he'll say, as a church, I'm calling you to deal with this thing, to look at this thing in the most profound way. So here they come. I always chuckle when I think about this because Jesus is blowing their mind. Now look what it says. It goes back to the story with the disciples. It said, verse 31, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, our teacher, eat something. Well, indeed, he's about to become a teacher. Now remember, the verse has already said somewhere down there in chapter uh, verse 4 or 5 that Jesus was tired from the journey. And he was already probably hungry, but he's not going to see hangry. He's better than I am. He's not going to get selfish. He's going to see an opportunity here. You get the idea, by the way, that they've already eaten or they're eating. And Jesus is not eating because he's probably a little bent out of shape about the way they treated this woman. They came and they made it awkward and they were full of judgment. They were full of all kinds of things that were going to push her away from God. Instead of seeing in every single person, no matter how broken, no matter how backwards, no matter what they're embracing, 
This is a person created in the image of God and has potential to live for eternity in the dignity of God. But they're not at that place. Now, verse 32, he said to them, I have food to eat, but you guys don't know anything about it. He said, I am eating something that is most satisfying. I am eating something that is filling my life with meaning and with purpose. I am eating something that is filling me with significance, that's showing me that I'm living a life that matters. He he said in another place, he said, I have come to seek and save the lost. He said, I do the will of my father. I see where my father's working and I join where my father's working. My father's working in people's lives. He said in another place, he said, we work while it is day. He's saying night is coming when no man is working, that there's a time when, when the things come to an end. He said, but as long as it is day, my followers should be found working. And so as followers of Christ, we, we look for opportunities, we see opportunities, and his church, his disciples are, 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 are just out of shape. Maybe they were bent out of shape about being in Samaria. Remember last week we talked about how most people went around Samaria. It was full of thieves and mountains and Samaritans, for goodness sakes. Those people. And anytime we put people in the category of those people, well, then we're far, far from the heart of Jesus. He says in verse 33, then it says in verse 33, then his disciples said to each other, not to him, could someone have brought him food? Then Jesus, hearing this, and hear the passion of Jesus, my food. What I'm talking about, what I'm hungry for, what satisfies me, what I'm living for, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And what is his will? Seek and save the lost. He desires that no one perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. He said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then he, he, he turns a metaphor and he's basically saying, open your eyes. He says, do you not say four more months and then the harvest? There were probably some place where they could see a field. And he looked at it and he said, you know, in four months, that's going to be a harvest. And don't they say four more months, the harvest? He says, I tell you, Open your eyes and look at the real, the spiritual fields, the fields of people's hearts. They are ripe for harvest. He says, even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, he harvests a crop to eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. He says, there's a harvest going on. And and there have been people who have planted the seeds. There have been people who prayed over the seeds. There have been people who have cultivated. And now the harvest has come. I mean, just understand, we live in one of the most amazing times to be Christians, to be a follower of God. In the Old Testament, imagine going through that time of warfare and waiting and longing. Imagine even during the time of the exiles. Imagine people say, I always want to be part of the early first century church. Apparently, you've never read about the early first century church. Because they had a lot of problems, but they also did things like, I don't know, get eaten by lions and get persecuted, and their families were persecuted. We live in a place, in an amazing country, where we, with freedom can share our faith. And the only reason we don't do it is we're afraid of offending people. We're afraid of of, of being an outcast. We're afraid of making it uncomfortable. We don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Well, hell's pretty uncomfortable. And so for us to, to become a little bit more bold, for us to take a step back and say, I want to be part of something myself, becomes absolutely crucial. He, he, he says to them that there's a, there's a harvest that's taking place in people's lives. And if you would just open your eyes, you could see it. You, you maybe have a co-worker, and that co-worker has just been a pain. They have just been a pain lately. But if you would open your eyes and you would look, you'd realize, oh, that co-worker's 
going through a divorce. And because they're going through a divorce, they're more receptive to God than they ever have been. You may have someone in school who's in your homeroom and they're just a jerk. They're a bully to other people. But if you were to look closer, if you were to look closer, you would see that their mom maybe has cancer and they are afraid and they are alone and they don't know what's going on. You, you may see somebody in the mall and a child misbehaving, but you haven't taken time to look at the story to understand the story and understand that there's a God who is at work. And if we could see the harvest and listen to the spirit, we would see an amazing thing. Look what it says. It's verse, again, verse 36. He says, even now the reaper draws his wages. That is to say there's a return. There's a, there's a, there's a wage that comes, a wage of meaning and joy and, and eternal joy. Even now the, he harvests a crop for eternal life. That is to say he's invested in eternal things, not temporary things, not things that you can't keep anyway. Everything you touch with your hand, you have to give back when you die, except people. It's the only eternal thing you will see. You you will touch the word of God and people. Those are the only eternal things. Everything else, you got to give back. And so he says, invest in that. So, So the sower and the wheat reaper, look at this, might be glad together that there is a joy that comes. Listen now. Only when we join God in his work. Only when we get over the shame that this culture is putting on us that's wanting to tell us, just sit down, shut up. You can believe your thing. For the time being, we'll put up with it. But, but you know what? Don't you dare share it. Don't you dare be bold about it. Don't you dare assume that people need the love of God, even though you're, the Bible says they do. Verse 37. He says, thus the saying is true. One sows and another reap is true. He says, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefit of his labor. See, what they weren't realizing is they were on the cusp of the great revival of humanity, where the the message of Christ was going to be fully revealed. The mystery, as the Apostle Paul says in the Old Testament, of what is this whole story about? Well, it's about Jesus. It's about his life, death, and resurrection. And Paul says, the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, that that mystery is now revealed, and we have it. We can share that mystery with the world. One you're waiting for, the Messiah, is Jesus Christ. It's the answer to your question in the most deep and profound way. And, and so our labor is a labor of eternal harvest. Now verse 39, the story just gets better. It says, many of the Samaritans from town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Do you hear that? Her story was so powerful She had so clearly been changed, something significant had so happened to her that people said, okay, I never thought I would hear her talking like that. I never thought I would see that in her. See, there's a power in a story. You may say, I'm an introvert, I'm quiet. Well, that makes your story that much more powerful. Because when you share it, the people will know you, will know what it costs you to share that story. And so sometimes it's not the bold, gregarious, easy-talking people who have the powerful testimony. Sometimes it's the quiet person who, who because of love, says, I just want to tell you about this. And it becomes incredibly, incredibly powerful. And, and, and it goes on. He says, again, verse 39, Many of the Samaritans of the town believed because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged Jesus to stay with them, and he stayed two days. That just had to be freak-out time for his disciples. But that's like advanced loving people training, verse 41. And because of his words, many more became believers, verse 42. Then they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is 
the Savior of the world. That is one of the most profound and clear declarations of faith in the entire Gospels. It's actually more profound than most of the disciples make. Jesus reveals himself to these Samaritan outcasts who live in the mountains more clearly than anything else, and they seem to be more interested in it than anybody else. Because here at the end of the day, they, 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 they saw Jesus for who he was, and they shared it, and it changed everything. You know, um, one of the things we do to make... Um, our church just more effective at this thing of what we call share is we find share partners. Um, we've got a share partner here with us this weekend uh, from the Forgotten Initiative. I'm going to invite Jamie to come on up. Uh, let's go ahead and welcome Jamie. Let me say a couple things about our share partners. You can always get a list of our share partners for this year at our um, Connection Center. And um, I just want to let you know that you might imagine we as a church get asked for a lot of, from a lot of people to help in a lot of ways. Uh, we get inundated with requests, and we are kind of really careful about what we do. Uh, we look for people who um, believe in the Bible, you know, things like that, uh, are gospel-centered. We look for people who love Jesus. We look for people who have things like a board, and they have a good um, history and a record of effective ministry and helping people. And so you could either pick up a copy of this to maybe as a prayer deal, um, as some of our ministry partners, or you could go to the website and then you could click on any one of them. You could learn more about our share partners. Um, this year we'll give over $100,000 in um, missions just to um, these, these share partners. So, so you might look at that. Well, one of the share partners we have is one that is brand new, and this is kind of a spirit thing for us because this is something that God had been breaking our hearts over, and then he started breaking their hearts over, and then they went out and found this amazing national organization to partner with for Forgotten Initiative, and so um, that's what this is about. Now, what Forgotten Initiative is all about is about foster care. It's about foster families. So, so Jamie, tell me a little bit about what's going on in foster care in our region and really, in many ways, the whole United States. Yeah, so one of the things that uh, um, is really as you kind of see is, is a lot of times you hear about orphans and internationally there's orphanages and things of that nature. But in the United States, a lot of times it's, um, we don't have orphanages here. We don't have that. And what we have is we have the foster care system. Um, and it's where, um, people actually bring children who are fatherless, who don't have parents or the parents can't take care of them into their homes. And, and, uh, what we're finding here in Wisconsin, especially is, um, that there is a need definitely, but it keeps on growing. It's getting bigger and bigger. Um, last year there was, uh, um, uh, a, um, news article in La Crosse area where they were actually having to shut down their foster care uh, program because they couldn't get enough families to actually care for the kids that were in need. Um, here in, in uh, the Chippewa Valley, we know and we see, um, and foster uh, workers, our foster care workers, are t- talking to us all the time about how, um, because of things like uh, the meth epidemic, op- um, the uh, heroin um, throughout Wisconsin, that it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing. That more and more children are coming in and won't be able to be placed back with their parents, and so it's it's not something that is going away. We're seeing it more and more. Um, teachers are seeing it more and more in school, where um, their stu- um, students don't have homes, aren't part of that anymore. And it's not just happening here in Wisconsin; it's throughout the United States. It's getting bigger and bigger. And one of the things, and, and the reason the Forgotten Initiative is there, is just that is um, it's easy to forget. 
those because it's they're hidden. They're not seen all the time. Um, they're being taken care of by someone, but who are those people taking care of them? The foster parents that are taking care of them. So um, it's it's not just here, but it's throughout the United States. It's becoming bigger and bigger of a problem. Yeah, some of the conversations we've been having with folks, you know, we have many school teachers, thank you, uh, police officers, EMT workers, all of you who are in those helping um, organizations, and then social workers, many of us social workers who, who come or are part of the organization we're talking about, is that the system is overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed, because of the, the meth thing, because of the opioid thing, because of um, um, incarceration, and, and the increase in incarceration be related to those things, so that there are kids in very, very vulnerable situations who are being left in very vulnerable situations because there just literally is no place to bring them. Yeah, yeah. The, especially with social workers. I mean, they're overwhelmed. And you talk about messy places and hard places. Um, they go in. They're in that. They're in the muck and the mire of um, daily life, dealing with uh, very hard situations. And it's not black and white. It's, it's very gray. And so it's how do you work through that? And it's not a quick, easy answer. It's a very long um, work through kind of, and, and it's, you know, a step forward and two steps back. So um, those people who are in those positions, if you are a foster care, if you're a social worker, if you're police who have to deal with that, any of those people are um, the saints of today, if yeah. you want to say that, for what they do. So what is for Forgotten Initiative? What, what do you guys do? Yeah, so the Forgotten Initiative is a national organization, and what it does is it has advocates throughout the United States. And um, my wife, Sarah, and I are the advocates um, for uh, um, the Chippewa Valley, and we're the only um, Forgotten Initiative in the state of Wisconsin. And we have uh, Kaylin Altman, who's um, a member here who uh, works with us as a coordinator. And the whole purpose of the Forgotten Initiative is to really be a bridge between um, the church and uh, the um, foster community. And so that's foster care workers, that is vulnerable children, that is foster parents, that is the vulnerable um, adults and the, the biological parents and those who um, can't take care of their kids anymore. And so we try to be that bridge. And, and what it is is um, kind of the mission statement is to be the joy and the purpose um, within the foster care community. How can we come and, and help? And really what has happened, and, and the, the name says it all, is the Forgotten Initiative is these are um, a lot of times those who feel forgotten. And um, they don't have a voice as a, a child, or they are overworked as a social worker, or they are taking somebody into their home that has huge amounts of trauma or issues or just a very tough life that they have to deal with and, and work through. Um, and that's not all the, all the time, but it's those kind of people. And so what can we do to bridge that gap between the um, really what Jesus has called us to do, to love those invulnerable, the marginalized, those um, uh, people, and then go to the foster care community and say, what are your needs and how can we be that light for you? Yeah. And so you guys are, you know, you're providing support, encouragement, resources for those social workers, for those foster families, for, um, you know, kids who've been through trauma, just kind of resourcing it. So what are some of the things that you think most people don't realize that are difficult about being a foster family, for instance. Yeah, I think um, the big thing is is um, for foster families. A lot of times, um, you know, it's unseen um, issues that that are dealing with as their child or the child who's in their care um, is dealing with their own things um, that they have to walk through and kind of unwrap the mess sometimes, unwrap the situation. And uh, my wife will tell you, you know, when she gets a glance from someone, when our kids who are biological um, are, you know. Uh, um, maybe acting up and it's that look and it's that shame of, oh, am I not doing a good enough job? There's that 
plus some when it's uh, working with other children. At the same time, it's something where um, it's just uh, it's taxing. There's just uh, a burden because you're having to deal with the state and you know making sure that you try to um, get to appointments, try to help the family reunite too. And that can be messy because it could be something too when you bring a child in your home, um, you don't know if they're going to be there for a week, uh, a month, for two years, and then that child can still go home. And throughout all the the um, the placements of the adoptive child, or I'm sorry, the uh, foster care child, the, um, uh, the the social worker, all of them, loss is involved, and so they're living in loss. If it's the loss of a parent, if it's the loss of um, you know, I was wanted this to, to happen, but I really feel like I need to be involved and, and help here. If it's the loss of I have foster children and I have biological children, and um, how are they dealing with that? Yeah. It's it's there. So there's there's loss in all of it, um, and how do we change and and help that and walk through it? That can be you know, as you said today, you know, um, sometimes those hard things are the things that actually bring us closer to God. And yeah. how do we um, help in that case? Yeah, and so. We're seeing this all over. We're seeing it in our schools. Teachers are talking about it all the time. It's affecting every classroom. It's affecting our children's ministry. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, um, it's just an incredible um, struggle that you just, um, by definition, any kid really who goes in foster care has been through trauma. And so what are some of the things that you guys are doing that we could help out with? Yeah, and that's the awesome thing. And, and one thing that um, TFI likes to say is um, awareness uh, leads to action. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the thing is as we come aware, what are our steps of action? What can we help with? And, and um, so some of the things that we have really focused on is really asking the foster care community, the social workers, what are your needs? Not to give them something that they don't need, but what is something that you actually tangible need? And so we have different um, projects that we do. We have uh, um, one uh, that we're working on right now. It's um, getting Christmas presents for a foster care um, agency and they do treatment foster care which is the harder children and so um, they need uh, about 15 people to wrap uh, or to get two or three presents for each child so about 15 children and so we're working towards things of that nature Um, we are working with uh, Lutheran Social Services here in Eau Claire which is a uh, foster care agency and they want to do um, and they're asking for uh, just um, uh, support kits for the parents Things that give that parent just that support that they need, a encouraging note, um, uh, coffee, um, chocolate, those types of things that we can um, hand to them when they're in a hard place and they just need that little encouragement to get to, you know, uh, you say, you know, at the end of your rope, uh, tie a knot so we can be that knot kind of a thing in that, in that moment. Um, and then we also have... Um, uh, something called uh, Project Sunshine. And the county actually has come to us and said, we have a waiting room that the kids come into, and the toys are broken. The, um, you know, we have books that are have ripped out pages. Um, it's, you know, kind of dark and dungy. Could we have people come around us and help volunteer and make that space um, new again? So then those children can, uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> can um, be in a hard place but not feel that um, as much in one way. So those are some ways. (laughs) That's pretty good. Well, you know, there's so much cool about this, and those three things that you just mentioned, over the next month or so, um, through our children's ministry, through our youth ministry, we're going to try to meet all three of those needs to support families. We've got multiple foster families. Some of you are here. You are heroes. want to celebrate. 
everybody who's working, you know, with high-risk trauma kids, you know, our teachers, our police officers, um, it's hidden in plain sight. And it's an exploding problem, my friends. And you say it's somebody else's problem. Well, these kids go to school with our kids. They come to our youth group. They come to our children's ministry. Um, they're, they're, they're part of our community. And Jesus would say to us, open your eyes and see. Open your eyes and see the harvest that's right before you. There's a couple other things we're doing here directly at Jacob's Well uh, in this. One is is that we're doing something called TBRI training, which is Trust-Based Relational Intervention. It's November 12th, and that would be good if you're a foster parent or you're interested in being a foster parent, but it'd be good if you're a teacher or a coach because you're running into or you already know if you're involved, whatever, if you're a police officer or social or whatever, you can come to this training. How do you deal with traumatized High-risk kids, um, sometimes difficult situations. We're offering that training again, and that's um, going to be um, November 10th. And then February 3rd, at the uh, beginning of the uh, into the next year, we're doing a foster and adoptive family support night. So we want to create care for those ones who are adopting who are um, doing foster care, as well as create awareness. Um, There's all kinds of ways you can get involved in supporting, all the way from being a a foster parent to maybe being a respite foster parent. There's all kinds of ways at all kinds of levels you could get involved. We're going to be talking to you about that more as the year plays out. But we're going to start by getting involved and helping. So when you hear us talk about that, that's what this is all about. It's a huge problem. You know, just do a little Google search, you know, foster, foster crisis, you know, in Wisconsin, and you'll start being just aware of the incredible thing that God has laid on our hearts and God has laid on your hearts. Cool thing is, too, um, Forgotten Initiative works with Peace Church in town, works with a new church in town, so there's a lot of churches coming together. It's just the Church of Jesus Christ just being awfully cool, and so I just love it. So thank you, Jamie. Let's say thank you to Jamie, and uh, we'll bring you So next steps, there's all kinds of next steps, right? You could grab that devotion this week and you could dig deep into the passage we looked at. You could look at that passage. You could just be bold and just say, God, teach me to open my eyes and see the harvest. My workplace, my school, my community, the relationships that I have, help me to see them in different ways. When I see people who maybe are annoying or difficult, maybe I should see the crisis. And in the crisis, there may be an opportunity to share the love of God. See, I really don't know how to share my faith. Well, November 30th, we are going to have a class on how to share your faith in a way that's real, authentic. No one's going to put you on the spot. It's not a bunch of memorizing. Really, it's just a conversation about how you can authentically learn how to tell your story, connect it to God's story in the most profound and wonderful way. Um, So that's a step that you could take as well. There's one more thing I just want to just remind you about, and that is we got a building to finish out here. Let me just say, we are really building that building because of John chapter 4, because we're trying to create a place for people who are without God and without hope, people who need to come in, and so we need a push to get it done. And so if you're, you got a maybe Tuesday night small group, what would it look like for your small group to take a Tuesday night or two off and come out and help us out? If, if you drop enough kid uh, at youth group, what would it look like for you to park and come in on Wednesday night and help us out? Um, next Saturday particularly, so hear this, next Saturday is super important. We need like over 50 people because we got to finish the landscaping. we got some carpet we're going to start putting on. There's just tons of stuff to do. So next Saturday, even it look like changing some plans maybe, or maybe just, you know, pushing a little bit. Um, we really need to get this going as winter is coming up. We would love to be in 
the building um, towards the end of November. Um, um, but in order to do that, we just need um, more folks to come out than been coming out. But all of that is not about fill- building a building or finishing a building. It's all about creating a place where people can take steps to know and become like Christ. See, that's, that's just part of being something bigger than yourself. And so um, I'm going to pray, and then the team's going to come. You know what they're going to do? They're going to sing a song that is about our story, that there was a time where I was hopeless, without life, without God, without hope, and I was dying, and then death was arrested in my life. And because I heard Jesus' story, it changed everything. And um, that's what the song is about. Father, I just want to take a minute to pray for every person here who's on the front lines of foster care. Obviously, the foster parents and the foster brothers and sisters. I want to pray for the foster grandparents and all those ones who are, who are welcoming um, people, kids who have been through many times trauma uh, into their environment. I want to pray for the friends who support. I want to pray for their social workers, social workers who are being asked, in many cases, to do just impossible things, workloads that are beyond unreasonable. I want to pray, Father, for our law enforcement and for EMTs and first responders who very often have to go into family situations that are are overwhelming, God. Father God, I want to just pray for teachers who are in the classroom because they love kids and they love to learn and they love to teach and they run into situations that are keeping that from happening. I just pray, Father God, in Jesus' name, would you show us how we as a church can step into that? And Father God, we want to pray right now that you'd put on our hearts and our minds the name of a person we could pray for who's right now without God and without hope, who we could love, who we could reach out to, who we could share our story and Christ's story so that they could take steps to know and become like Christ, so that their whole life could be changed. Father, as we sing this song of celebration, may it just be a springboard of testimony that we would share, not just here before each other and with you, but in the community um, that desperately needs to know that there's a God who loves them. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.